welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor podcast. I'm Andrew Dick, and I'm an attorney with Hall Rinder. Have you ever wanted to look at market rental rate data for MOBs in Charlotte, North Carolina, or construction data for hospitals in Atlanta, Georgia? Well, you're in luck. A company called Revista offers this information to its subscribers. The resource is online, and most of the services are offered on demand. Think of a, uh, a Google Maps type search where you can identify medical office buildings around the country in various metro areas. Today, we'll be talking with Mike Hargrave, a principal with Revista, about big data for healthcare real estate assets and how he and his partners decided to start the company. Mike, thanks for joining me. Uh, well, thanks for having me, Andrew. I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm excited to uh, to chat with you here. Well, Mike, before we talk about Revista, let's talk a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are today. Where are you from? And uh, once you got out of college, what did you? What, what was your first job? Well, I grew up in uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, in a, uh, a nice neighborhood there, and I uh, ended up going to college at the University of Maryland, where I earned my uh, undergraduate degree. Uh, I eventually went on a few years later to earn my uh, master's in business administration from Loyola College in Maryland. Uh, when I graduated uh, from the University of Maryland, I, I went about the process of looking for a job, and I had actually uh, accepted a, a position with a financial services company at that time. My mother, who was living in Colorado at the time uh, as a recruiter and consultant within the healthcare kind of long-term care sector, uh, had called me and uh, was a little frantic one day. She she went up to her her boss, uh, who was uh, with her in Colorado, and asked if she could move back to Maryland and, and open up an office. And her boss told her told her no. Uh, so she called me frantically and and um, desperately wanted to move. And so we decided to uh, go into business uh, together. Um, let me go ahead and, and back up a little bit, though. My mother is really the reason that I got into the business of healthcare real estate. She, prior to her doing the recruiting in Colorado, uh, she was a registered nurse, and she worked uh, as a director of nursing and then a regional director of quality assurance for a company called Manor Care Health Services. We, uh, many, many of us may know Manor Care. They just got sold to uh, ProMedica Health System and did that big real estate transaction uh, with uh, with Welltower. Uh, but she was working for for Manor Care, uh, traveling all around the country, doing uh, doing uh, quality surveys and regional quality assurance for for their nursing homes. Uh, she was recruited out of uh, Manor Care and uh, recruited to help uh, start up a new nursing home company or, or relatively young nursing home company back then called Integrated Health Services, uh, which was based in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Uh, she became their corporate director of uh, nursing or quality assurance, I guess they called it, and really helped uh, integrated from a clinical perspective uh, develop a lot of their programming at the time. This was uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, at that time, there was a big movement in the skilled nursing industry to uh, prepare for subacute care, basically. It was 
a higher intensive uh, level of care than uh, traditional nursing homes would would normally give. Um, basically, the the nursing homes at that time were going after increased Medicare reimbursement. Uh, they did that by renovating their therapy departments and putting in more expansive rehab areas. Uh, companies like Integrated Health Services specialized in uh, things like ventilator care and, and ventilator rehab. Um, so she helped uh, develop a lot of those programs and helped uh, take Integrated Health Services public uh, back then. Um, uh, but she ended up leaving and, and going to, to start a recruiting business uh, out in Colorado with a, a company that was an existing company. Um, and then eventually she expressed an interest in coming back to Maryland. Um, and uh, that's when she called me and because the company did not agree to that, she called me. I was just graduating from college and uh, we devised a plan together to start our own sort of consulting slash recruiting business that would specialize uh, in the, in the, uh, mostly post-acute business. Uh, at that time, there wasn't a ton of assisted living companies out there. I think Sunrise was just getting started. This is 1991 or 1992. And so we spent, uh, the next 10 years or so, uh, 11 years doing corporate recruiting and, and, uh, executive level rec- recruiting for companies that were involved in the skilled nursing business as well as uh, the post-acute business. And we did some uh, work for some of the beha- large behavioral health companies back then and even and even hospital companies. So that was really uh, sort of my segue into kind of the healthcare real estate side of things. I had a finance background going into starting the business with my mother. And, um, you know, I sort of specialized on the consulting end and recruiting end uh, with the finance side of things. So I became networked with a lot of, you know, finance people, CFOs and, and acquisitions people and lenders and, and um, uh, investment people. And, and so I had a really good background back then in terms of uh, the finance and investment side of the, the healthcare business uh, and also the real estate side of the business. So, uh, when we wound down our, our recruiting business in, um, 2003, I believe, um, uh, I, it, it was an easy segue for me at that point to kind of get involved in the finance side of the business. So that's kind of a long-winded background, I guess, through and, uh, just after college there, Andrew. Mike, this is interesting. When your mom calls you about this opportunity, you already had a job offer, did she have to convince you to come start this new business or, or was the opportunity really attractive to, to one, start your own business, but, but two, to work with your mom? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, well my mom w- was very successful, uh, not only when she was working with Integrated and, and Manor Care before that, but also in the, in the recruiting business. She, she was doing quite well. And so it was really, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just graduating from college and I accepted a, you know, more or less entry level job, uh, in financial services. And, and, you know, I was very interested in that field. Um, I believe I would have done quite well in that, in that field. Uh, but it was, it was really a, a no brainer to help, help put this venture together with my mother. And it was, it was very quickly successful. You know, we, uh, 
we were hitting the ground running in the first really 90 days and we had to start hiring people within the first I think the first year of, of operating and and uh, we moved to offices and I mean we quickly became a you know a big name in uh, in the industry and it was really because of my mother at that time she had a lot of existing relationships and uh, so I was able to, to dovetail on a lot of those relationships and then eventually establish my own you work with your mother you, you build this business for roughly 11 years. And then at some point, did you and your mom decide that you both wanted to do something different? Or how did you end up making the leap from the recruiting business to Nick? And, and when I say Nick, the, the National Investment Center, which, which covers or represents the interest of, of seniors housing and, and uh, various long-term care facilities. If everyone recalls in 1997, the Clinton... Uh, White House and Congress passed the 1997 Balanced Budget Act, which really fundamentally changed uh, Medicare reimbursement uh, back then for the skilled nursing companies. Uh, prior to the BBA, uh, Medicare was really a cost-based reimbursement system, which meant that uh, the nursing homes would uh, figure out all their costs of operating the Medicare you know, beds and departments and areas uh, of a skilled nursing facility and then basically submit that for reimbursement. And they would, you know, as long as they were were accurate and, and uh, honest, they would they would get a check back. The BBA changed that to more or less a per diem-based system, meaning uh, so instead of all of your costs, you know, going toward uh, uh, being submitted for Medicare, uh, Medicare would now instead... Uh, pay you X number of dollars per day per uh, per diagnosis. So if it was a hip replacement and you needed rehabilitation for for a hip replacement, Medicare, depending upon what region you're in, would pay the nursing home X number of dollars per day uh, for a, for a defined period to to care for a resident like that. And it really um, the net result back then. There's a lot of different figures. Uh, but the net result was for the year following the BBA, the average Medicare rate went down by some odd 25%, by about 25% year over year. Um, so that's the average daily rate for Medicare. And, uh, the skilled nursing companies back then, uh, were in high growth mode. Um, you know, most were like the largest ones were publicly traded. Uh, on the New York Stock Exchange, and uh, they had, you know, high equity prices, and they had uh, high levels of of debt as well. And um, with the change in reimbursement, uh, the skilled nursing companies quickly found that they were more or less underwater, and really, uh, you know, really headed in a in a bad direction. Uh, many of the, the the stock prices plunged for most of the companies. Many, uh, several of them, uh, went into, uh, bankruptcy. Um, and, um, you know, there was generally a lot of distress, uh, in the skilled nursing industry, uh, you know, really by 2010, 2011, uh, I believe I saw a report back then that about one quarter of the entire industry was in, was in bankruptcy because of the changes in reimbursement. 
Medicare eventually raised the rates a little bit from there, um, but the damage was done and the industry was fundamentally, you know, changed back then. So a lot of these companies that, that ended up going bankrupt were our clients. And so we ended up uh, taking a hit ourselves uh, during that period. Um, and in, you know, 2002, 2003, uh, my mom decided to retire and, uh, and, and we decided just generally just to wind the business down. And that's where I found the opportunity with Nick. So you move over to Nick and it, it, that seems to be a, a good fit based on the connections that you've made working with your mom in the long-term care industry. And so what did you do for Nick? Well, I was, I, I joined Nick in 2004, uh, and I, I joined them to lead, uh, a new division that they were starting or new product they were starting called NickMap, which was a, at that time, a, a database of skilled nursing and long-term care and assisted living and retirement community properties, uh, that were covering, I believe at that time, the top, uh, 25 metro areas and really it was i was familiar with nick before that and, and had been in touch with them so it was really you know along with my contacts it was it was an easy transition i i really understood and, and bought into the mission of nick uh nick is a is a uh, not-for-profit uh, 501c3 and really their mission is they have this you know, sort of, or had back then this theory that, and, and really it wasn't a theory, it was actual, uh, it, it, it was actual fact that this skilled nursing and assisted living industry and, and, um, you know, retirement community industry was, you know, largely a cottage industry. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, a ton of, you know, institutional investment capital that, that went into the business. Um, and so Nick had this mission of really, you know, propping up the industry and, and promoting its merits, uh, in the way that they saw that that would happen is through, you know, uh, regular reports on the, on the sector. And eventually that, that merged into this database called Nick Map, which, which I was brought on to, to lead and grow. Uh, so I joined them in 2004 and, uh, worked there until, I believe 2013. Okay. And so, so Nick map is somewhat similar to what you've created at Revista. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? Where you could look at data, for example, for a skilled nursing facility, whether it be number of beds, uh, you know, who the owner is, um, uh, transaction prices, et cetera. Right. So Nick map, um, was, was always envisioned as being a regular database of, uh, all the senior housing properties located in made, basically, made, you know, most of the major metro areas of the United States. Um, they tracked skilled nursing, assisted living, independent living, retirement communities like CCRCs. You know, they had all kinds of different cuts on, on the data. Uh, after about a year or two, they started tracking construction, uh, then, uh, they were tracking rents and, and occupancies really from the, from the beginning. They, they started tracking construction a few years, uh, after they started and then they, and then they transitioned into sales transactions through a relationship that, uh, Nick had established with, uh, Real Capital Analytics, uh, which is still in place today, I believe. So it was very much, you know, very much like a, you know, typical real estate data service that you might see in commercial real estate, except it was specialized and cut for 
you know, kind of the, the seniors housing and, and care industry. Uh, and that it, uh, during my time there, it grew from 25 initial markets to eventually a hundred markets. And I believe they're up to, uh, well over a hundred and I think 50 markets now. I'm, I'm not, I haven't checked it recently, but, um, it's a growing data service. Uh, the users of that data, they, they sold it through annual subscriptions. The users of the data are, you know, typical users that you see in many real estate data services. They're appraisers and lenders and investors and, and owners. Uh, even the occupiers like, um, the operators use, uh, use the, uh, NIC data a lot or NIC map data a lot uh, as well. So, um, it's a, it's a growing data service and it's, it's pretty similar to, you know, or, or at least somewhat similar to, uh, what we're doing at Revista, uh, with, with a different product focus. So Mike, let's talk about you, you work for Nick for eight plus years. And then at some point you decide with, with some other colleagues at Nick to start Revista. How did that, how, how did you come up with the idea and, and really what prompted you to, to start this new venture? Sure. Well, well, Nick, um, so when we worked at, at Nick and even from my, from my time before, um, you know, we had lots of relationships with lots of different healthcare real estate investors or different types of debt and equity providers to, uh, to the sector. So the four of us that started Nick, I mean, the four of us that started Revista, we, each of us left Nick, uh, individually and not at the same time. So my partner, Elisa Freeman, who runs our event and, and all of our marketing, uh, left Nick, I believe first, uh, and then it, and then it followed, uh, Hilda Martin, my other partner left, you know, maybe a year or two later or something like that. And then I left after Hilda and then Jim Levy, who is our fourth partner, uh, he left, uh, just after, just after me. There was, you know, a fair amount of turnover in general at that time at Nick, but, uh, we all left for, for various different reasons. And we still are all to this day on, on good terms with everybody uh, back at Nick. We got together really in, I believe it was early, uh, or, or the summer of 2013. This is just after I had left Nick. We got together and, and, had some meetings and dis- and uh dis- discussed the fact that we had thought that there might be an opportunity to uh start a data service that would specialize more or less in healthcare real estate so in medical office buildings and hospital real estate and other types of healthcare real estate that you know kind of not necessarily what Nick tracks but uh stuff that you know investors that uh you know, have holdings in that space would, would be interested in, in tracking. So we, we, we touched base at that time with a few, a few investors that we knew from, from my experience, uh, in the past and, and our experience in the past. And we, we set up conversations, set up meetings, kind of spent about six to eight months doing due diligence all across the country in terms of we went around to these companies and we said, Hey, this, we're thinking of, uh, starting a data service that would track healthcare real estate. Uh, if we were to do that, um, how would you want it to look? And so that's where we learned things like, uh, that a lot of the companies, uh, in the sector currently were expressing to us that really there wasn't a, a resource like a NIC 
that really covered kind of healthcare real estate that a lot of the firms use some existing uh, real estate databases, uh, but we're expressing that these databases specialized more or less in commercial real estate, and they didn't really have a a focus uh, at all and had uh, not great coverage of, of healthcare real estate. Um, so a good example is, you know, most commercial real estate databases, um, you know, their filters are uh, suburban office and core business district. And uh, within healthcare real estate, you know, what drives value is, is not core versus or core business district or, or suburban uh, locations. It's, it's really how close to the hospital campus it is, how affiliated with the hospital it is, um, who the, you know, what types of tenants are, are, are in the building. Those, those things really drive value in healthcare real estate. And you really couldn't pry that out from, from any of the, the commercial real estate databases. So, uh, the bottom line on that is, you know, during our, our travels and during our conversations, we found that, you know, in fact, that there was a thirst for this type of information, uh, that there was a, um, you know, that, that, that company's very much, if we, you know, would have listened, like if, like if we had listened to them and developed uh, a database using filters that they recommended to us, that there was in fact a lot of opportunity to create something of value, uh, in the sector. So, um, we also, uh, asked about, uh, the conference side at that time. And, um, we found that there were a number, and there's still, to this day, a number of um, a number of smaller events. Uh, I think some of the the uh, the news publications put on conferences throughout the sector, um, but there was really not a uh, a premier kind of investment focused conference, similar to what uh, NIC had back in the uh, uh, senior housing and, and care industry. So. Um, you know, with that, we spent about six months kind of doing due diligence and, and we collectively, um, you know, decided at that time that we would make a go at it. Um, so we put together a plan to, to make that happen and, and, uh, and, and that's where it all started. So Mike, it sounds like Revista really complements the NIC map data and that it covers other asset types that, that Nick probably isn't tracking, like you said, for example, the medical office buildings on campus versus off campus, pure hospital, general acute care hospitals, LTACs or rehab hospitals. Um, is that right? Right. So, um, you know, really our, our core property type that we track is, is the traditional uh, or even newer version medical office buildings or outpatient buildings. Uh, that's the predominant part of our database, but, um, we also track hospital real estate. Uh, we also track, um, you know, some post acute real estate. We track, uh, acute rehab, long term acute care hospitals. Uh, we're going to be making a push into the behavioral hospital sector. Uh, we currently track transactions there. Uh, there's a lot of activity in that sector and, um, 
Uh, it's just a matter of, of time before we have uh, a, a good existing inventory of all the behavioral health hospitals in our associated real estate in our in our database. So that's the that's the area that we focus on. Um, you know, we, it uh, doesn't bump in, into either skilled nursing or assisted living or, or any of those those types. We you know we may in the future um, examine examine those, but at this point we have no concrete plans to really diverge from the property types that we're, we're in right now. So Mike, talk about how, I mean, that had to be a huge undertaking to, to build this database. Where do you get the data from and, and how do you put it all together? Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh it's, it's a, it's a tremendous effort to build a, uh, a real estate an existing real estate database uh, and, and it's it's quite expensive. So we spent almost a year building the database. We were lucky enough in our in our initial travels uh, to these large companies that large companies agreed. Uh, several large companies agreed to sponsor us. Uh, you know, financially, uh, starting in 2014. So we had, you know, we had some monies to help pay for uh, the development of the database and and, and the research. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, um, we, it wasn't like starting a database of residential housing where you can just go, you know, download all the assessment information on residential housing and bam, you've got a, an existing database and you can just, you know, go at it. I mean, the assess, the assessor offices do a good job, you know, Telling you whether it's a single family home or or multifamily residence, number of units, square footage, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but when it comes to healthcare real estate, it's, uh, it's, it, it's completely different. I mean, there's very few, uh, there's very little information in the public records that signifies that a, a building would be medical, um, or, um, it, even a lot of the hospital campuses, you can imagine, uh, the hospital, you know, they're not for profit. And so the, the local assessors, uh, looking at these monstros, you know, monstrosities of buildings on these hospital campuses, uh, don't always have a high level of interest in, you know, measuring, uh, what they, what they look like or measuring the, the square footage or even when they were built. I mean, there might be, 30 different buildings on a, on an average hospital uh, campus and um, the hospitals themselves, um, you know, have historically done from a real estate perspective, uh, not a very good job of parceling out uh, the different buildings that are on their campus. So, you know, there you could have, uh, you know, the main hospital building, uh, and you could have, you know, maybe five medical office buildings, uh, that are either attached or, or not even attached to, to the hospital, but on campus. And yet they all have the same parcel. They all have the same, uh, you know, the same address. And, and it's, it's very difficult a lot of times to, um, to really figure out, uh, what buildings are what with, with the hospitals and, and the systems. And so we spent, literally an entire year just building our database of medical buildings. And it was, it was very difficult and um, it took a lot of effort. Uh, We leveraged um, 
several existing databases of like healthcare practice locations. Uh, we scoured bond filings. We, we, uh, we leveraged hospital location lists like the, uh, via their website or even via newsletters and things like that. So, um, you know, that whole process took us about a year and that was really just to identify all of the medical buildings, whether they're medical office buildings and they're on campus, are they affiliated with the local hospital or not? Um, just, just identifying and developing a directory of those buildings all throughout the United States, uh, took, took just about a year. And when we were, when we were done doing that, what we had is we had an existing database of about 37,000 uh, medical office buildings. And these are buildings that we, uh, we qualified each of those buildings as, as a medical office building. And what that meant was we determined that the building, um, was either purpose built or converted, uh, into for medical use. Um, that the vast majority of the tenants in the building, if not even all of the tenants were uh, where healthcare practices involved in specific types of, you know, healthcare delivery. Um, so, you know, as a, for instance, um, you know, if it's a, uh, a health insurance company that has their regional headquarters in a building, that to us, that's not a, a medical office building. If it's a uh, counseling center, that's, that's not a medical office building. A lot of school-based uh, clinics are, are, um, in, in, you know, in, uh, in office buildings and those aren't medical office buildings. Typical medical office buildings that we track, um, would have, you know, primary care or cardiology, you know, the typical physician type practices that you'll find in what most of us consider to be uh, a medical office building. And so, um, that was, that was sort of the result of that first year of building the database. Uh, of these 37,000 and there were almost 20,000 other types of buildings that we, we cataloged in our, in our database as well at that time. So it was a big, it was a huge effort, took a lot of resources. Uh, and we were very lucky that we did get support, uh, in the very beginning. Uh, and we really owe a, a, a debt of gratitude to these, uh, initial, uh, sponsor partners that, that really helped us through that period. So Mike, when you, you sent me a couple of reports, um, and it was it was really interesting to look at all of the data that's available through your database. You know, for example, you sent me a property view for a specific medical office building in Seattle, and uh, you could you could look at you know who is who who owns the building, um, look at you know, what the most recent sale transaction, when that occurred. Um, there was a list of comparable buildings in that particular area, um, along with rental rate data. And, and I'll tell you, the, the amount of information in the report um, was impressive. And uh, so I'm guessing that appraisers and investors they're, they're, they, they want access to this information because it's been my experience over the years when I hire an appraiser to come up with rent comps or to confirm a sale price for a medical office building, that data is hard to come by. It, it seems to be closely held. And 
And if you if your bank hires an appraiser that, that doesn't do a lot of work in this area, you can be at a real disadvantage. Um, and and so I'm guessing, Mike, that that appraisers and and lenders and and brokers all want this information because it seems to be closely held. Is that right? That's exactly right. And um, we've we've actually it's interesting, Andrew, but we've had conversations with uh, some some banks that use our data and they've expressed that exact sentiment that they had wished that, uh, you know, all of the appraisals they got in or all of the due diligence they got in would that, that those firms would just use our data because we have really quick and easy access to, uh, you know, rental rate comp information, uh, sales transaction comp information and other pertinent um, information that really uh, is zeroed in on the types of real estate that that they're uh, that they're looking at, and um, so it's you know that that that's why we started the databases because we felt that there was really a a void of this type of information, uh, or if it was out there, it was very clunky to go get. Like you had to, um, you know, you had to leverage either different data sources. Or you had to piece together information from a data source that you already used. Uh, and it was, you know, you may, maybe you rely on, on broker reports in an area, things like that. Um, and so, uh, the database that we have is, is really meant to, uh, you know, meant to provide an easier way to access that type of information. And it's custom made for healthcare real estate. And that's really what, what our goal was from the very beginning. So it, from what you you've sent me, it looks like you have the ability to look at specific properties. You also can can pull um, market view or metro reports that show um, different trends and comps within a certain metropolitan area. For example, Charlotte, North Carolina, and then you also sent me some information about construction reports. Now, now, what is what's involved in a construction report? Are we looking at construction cost trends, number of new construction projects within certain areas, or all of the above? Uh, really all of the above. Um, so uh, in addition to our existing database, we started in 2015 tracking uh, uh, construction as well as uh, transactions. Um, it was our uh, It was our opinion back then that you know, there wasn't really a, a good existing construction database out there. I know a lot of, uh, I know the Dodge data is out there. Um, um, but, um, uh, uh, we, we started tracking construction. The, the types of information we, we tracked, um, we didn't approach it from competing with a, with a Dodge, uh, which specializes in, you know, getting as much information on a project as they can. So, as early as they can so that the tradespeople can, you know, help bid on projects. Um, our approach in tracking construction is really, you know, to measure it up, uh, you know, at the market level and let our subscribers know, like, how much is under construction and what that translates to in terms of inventory growth over the next 12 months and is it leased up or, uh, you know, is it not leased up and what are the rental rates on these projects, you know, and, and who are the active developers? 
you know, we really approach it from more of a market risk type, you know, tool development thing. Um, so that's kind of how we'll look at construction in a, uh, in a market, but we do track both medical office as well as hospital construction. So Mike, if someone wants, uh, to get more information about, um, the data that's available, uh, what, what do the subscription models look like? Uh, so we, uh, uh, we sell our data on an annual basis. Uh, so a company comes in and they, they say to us, we're interested in looking at your data service. Um, uh, we want to buy a license to it. We would sell them a license and they get a certain number of users. Um, and that would enable the, 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 those users to log into our data service and, uh, and begin using it. So they can run reports. All of the data in the, in the data service, uh, is, it's uh, interactive, meaning, uh, you can pull up a report and click through to different properties or click through to different areas or even click through to, to other reports. Um, you know, you can filter the data as you, as you want. Uh, the data, our database, underlying database is, is continually, uh, updated with things like rents, vacancy rates, sales transactions, construction information, um, any changes in, in ownership, uh, we catalog immediately. Um, so our users, uh, can pull this information up through a property view report. Um, and as long as they have username and password access, uh, they can, they can, you know, uh, uh, uh do that at, at any time, even at midnight in one night. Um, so that's kind of how our, our access works. And, and if someone wants a trial subscription, that's, that's an option as well, correct? Yeah. So we do have, uh, if people go to our website, revistamed.com and they, they register in the, in the upper right hand corner, there's a link to sign in slash register. If they do that, uh, that'll, their email will be in our system and they'll, they'll have a, they'll have an email and a password, uh, and, um, they can search our property database. They generally can't download, uh, reports other than just, uh, a few property reports. Um, but you'll at least get a taste for the types of information and types of data that we have, uh, in the system. Uh, and then if you're interested from there, you just give us, give us a call or, or send us an email and, uh, and then we can, you know, set up a demo or have further discussions, send sample reports, uh, and then quote, quote pricing as well. Great. And, and I'll tell you, I was really impressed, Mike, the, with the data you sent to me. I mean, just the volume of data. I think some of my clients could use it when they're trying to, Set rental rates with physicians uh, in an on-campus MOB, for example. This data would be really valuable. Um, as we wrap up here, uh, I want to make sure we, we spend just a minute or two talking about your conference. You, you mentioned it earlier, but um, Revista has an annual conference um, this year. It looks like it's in February in San Diego. Mike, talk just a little bit about that and what what someone can expect um, if they if they attend the conference. Sure. So uh, our conference, again, uh, my partner, Elisa Freeman, uh, she worked at 
uh, Nick for a number of years before even I got to Nick. And uh, she really developed uh, Nick's conference into uh, what it really has become, which is kind of the industry's premier uh, finance and in investment conference for the seniors housing industry. Um, so we have, you know, more or less a similar type of vision for healthcare real estate. It, it was our, uh, it was our supposition that there really wasn't a conference that was, um, you know, squarely focused on finance and investment within healthcare real estate. And so that's what we've aimed to, uh, produce. Uh, it's an annual conference. Um, so we've, we've held these since 2015 and they've grown significantly, uh, each year since we, since we've had the, the inaugural event. So, uh, last year the conference was in, uh, Miami, Florida. This year it'll be in San Diego. Uh, it's the first week of February and, um, it's going to be held at the brand new, uh, Intercontinental Hotel in downtown San Diego, right near the water. Um, it just opened, the hotel just opened in August. So it's, it's San Diego's newest, uh, luxury business kind of hotel, uh, that's in the, that's in the city. So we're very excited to be there. It's going to be warm weather. Uh, there'll be a, a golf tournament the first day, uh, networking sessions. Uh, and then we start our, uh, general sessions, uh, the afternoon of the first day. Uh, and then programming continues for the, for the next day. So there's great educational sessions. The sessions are a little different than you'll find at some of the normal healthcare real estate events. Uh, they tend to focus on, on real estate. They tend to focus on finance. Um, we focus on construction and we try to fold in different, uh, data sources and different, uh, information, you know, factual statistical information that can help fuel some of the discussions that happen at, at these sessions. Um, you also have, because it is a finance oriented conference, you have, um, a growing part of the audience that is, uh, interested in attending for the, for the deal making side of things. And so there are a lot of, uh, all, all of the suites are reserved and, uh, different, um, you know, the, the hospitality rooms are all, all reserved. Um, and there's a lot of, Different, uh, investment meetings, a lot of different, uh, deal, deal making meetings that, that happen in the, in, uh, during the conference. And, and that's where, uh, you know, a lot of the audience or a lot of the participants, uh, end up. Um, and it's, it's, uh, been told that, uh, you have to fill your dance card quickly at, at, at our conference. And so for those of, for those that are, are thinking of attending, uh, you know, the suggestion is to, uh, look at our attendee list. Uh, you can access it, uh, after you register online and, and start making, uh, start making your meetings, uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, and, and then you'll have a nice successful, uh, conference. Great. Thanks, Mike. So, um, looking forward, where do you see Revista in five years from now? Uh, so five years from now, we, we, we have a lot of, to be honest, Andrew, we have a lot of growth straight ahead of us in, in this sector. Uh, it was, it was a little surprising to us, quite frankly, that, you know, that the sector didn't have a premier kind of investment conference. It was a little bit surprising to us that the sector didn't have a dedicated focused data service, 
so we're, we're, we're still growing our data service. We're still growing our conference. We see just a ton of growth ahead just there. Um, you know, as, as we grow over the next few years, we may start to look at folding in some other fringe types of property types. I mentioned earlier behavioral health hospitals where now that there's, uh, decidedly a lot of activity in that sector, both construction wise as well as transaction wise. Uh, we are, we are going to start tracking that. Um, we might build out our coverage of, of acute rehab as well as, uh, uh, LTACs. We do track transactions on those property types now. Um, you know, we may move into some of the more post-acute settings that are, that are out there as well, but, uh, we'll always stay close to kind of where we're at right now. It's a very large sector. I mean, when you total up the, hospital as well as medical office sector. I mean, you're talking about a real estate sector that has about a trillion dollars in current value. And so it's a very large sector and there's just a ton of, uh, uh, information that, that we can mine even into the future, uh, that helps really prop up the real estate value of these, of these properties and, and really helps, uh, you know, create uh, good transparency and good information on these properties, you know, moving, moving forward. So, uh, so the bottom line is we, you know, we have a lot of growth ahead of us just where we are. We may, we may, you know, dip our toes into, uh, related sectors, uh, but, uh, but, but by and large, we're going to be focusing on what we have just in front of us here. Great. So, so Mike, how can, uh, uh, our listeners contact you if they have questions about uh your data service well they can uh they can send me an email uh my email address is mike at revistamed.com our website is www.revistamed.com and we're located in uh, arnold uh maryland and our phone number is 443 949 uh, 8794. Great. Well, Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, th- this was, this was a great discussion and, uh, I- I've certainly learned a few things. Um, I want to thank our audience for listening to this podcast. Uh, on your, your Apple or Android device, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us feedback. We also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor to be added to that list. Uh, please contact me at adick at hallrender.com. And remember the views expressed in this podcast are those of the uh, participants only. And uh, we thank you uh, for your time and thank you for listening.